Well, hello and welcome back to our new listeners. This is Jasmine and our show is Wine from on the Vine to the Road Tasted. And to my right is Brian. Hi, Brian. Hello. (laughs) So this is part two, our companion episode to Chateau Aristes du Casse Saint Emilion Grand Cru. Uh, we just drank the 2013 and talked to you about it on a previous episode. And this is our in-depth version or techie version that we're going to be uh, talking to you about tonight. So we're going to flip the coin a little bit, and I'm going to be picking Brian's knowledge tonight on history, soil, climate, terroir, and so forth. Um, so first of all, Brian, I wanted to ask you when did you first start um to get uh, develop your passion for what you do in horticulture and the study of trees well um my mother and father would leave me with my grandparents out in san diego it's it's actually a place called valley center which is inland from san diego it's i don't know how many miles it might be 20 miles inland from san diego called valley center and they had 21 acres of citrus avocado Pine, eucalyptus, and I can't remember what else they had in there. But I mean, the avocados were awesome on that place. But they would they would walk the property with me. It was 21 acres. They had horses there too and everything. But 21 acres, and they'd walk me around and ask me the names of the trees, and they I'd have to remember the names of the trees. And um, so I I got some of my love for. Um, not only trees, but also wildlife when it came to that, you know, when it, when, when, when I stayed there. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we had uh, cougars, we had uh, bobcats, and you'd see them. Um, kind of just in the and, habitat there. Yeah, just, and yeah. rattlesnakes. and But they all left you alone because they all had the proper amount of food. So, mm-hmm. you, I mean, I would, I was probably like six or seven, I'd walk... I'd walk miles away from where I was supposed to be, and I I would walk into other people's properties. I mean, th- this is in the 70s, so yeah. it's not now. Like, mm-hmm. kids can't walk home by themselves anymore because people start to freak out. But, yeah, such different times. But it was very different times. But that's where I started it, where I started my love for that. And then, um, but, I mean, yeah, I... I yeah, I, I I loved the name. I knew a lot of tree names. It just stuck with you. Yeah, it just stuck with me. And when I when I got out of high school, I wanted to be a, a park ranger. Oh really? Yeah, and so I saw that you had to do horticulture, um, and so I did. I did. Um, I did a little horticulture. I did intro to horticulture or something like that, and then. I didn't become a ranger. <laughs> so, but yeah. your interest still kept with yeah, yeah, yeah. study of trees. And yeah, and then I, I didn't want to work outside because I saw how, how my dad looked. <laughs> so, because he, he's a mason, he, he's a good mason. He really is. He's like seventy. He still work. still works as a mason. But <clears throat> I, uh, I, I worked retail for six years, and um, I, I don't know how people do retail. I don't, I don't. I don't get it. It's it's it, it definitely takes a special breed and really thick skin. Um and I decided to go back outside and uh and yeah, I, I got hired by a big landscaping company and and they sent me to college and I'm very happy about that. So Yeah. yeah. So you're able to study more and just kind of go with your passion on that. Yeah. 
after yeah. getting out of the retail industry. Yeah, that's correct. That's basically it. That's why I got involved. And yeah. All right. Well, so tonight we're going to be uh, going into some main points about uh, Saint Emilion. So we're going to start off with speaking a little bit about the location. So the Saint Emilion is on the right bank of Bordeaux. And it's situated on the west coast of France. So Bordeaux is split into two by the Gironde Estuary, which divides into two rivers, the, the Dordogne and the Garonne Rivers. So north right is the north right is the right bank, and the areas below and to the left are constitute the left bank. So do you want what do, what are you gonna to talk to us tonight, first of all? What did you want to speak about? Well, uh, earliest I could find any history on when it comes to um, the Liborne and and even well actually Saint Emilion in itself, um, it dates back to the 12th century um, during the Roman times. Uh, there's not a lot of information on it, but that's they say it dates back that 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 far. So that's what I was able to come up as far as history, um, and then 1855. Napoleon III um, decided to start giving what like areas. Um, he got all the wine merchants together at yeah, that time. At that time, and they and he set up a levels of wine. Like mm-hmm. he wanted them to bring forth their best wine. Yeah, yeah. And Everybody but the right bank. <laughs> yeah, the right yeah. bank didn't get to make no. it. That so. Far. There was no way for them to get over to the left yeah. bank. So not until 1955 could they be classified as a Grand Cru, or I think there's there's like there's like three or four different divisions of Grand Cru. There's an A, there's a B. So a hundred years it, later, yeah, the right bank came into later. the scene. Yeah. Okay. And then even after that, in 1955, unlike the left bank, where they're continuously classified as Areas are classified as a Grand Cru, or their their levels A and B. Every ten years, um, Saint Emilion has to kind of like um, uh, engage a little bit and put in a new list of what their classifications are. So it's kind of it's a little unfair, yeah, to get accredited again. Something, yeah, being a part of that classification. Yeah, so it's kind of I mean. I, I, so, because they yeah. weren't a part of the 1855 <clears throat> classification, yeah, this is what the right bank has to do. Yeah, the higher esteemed AOCs or appellations. Yeah. It's really sad too because anytime I read a writing or something from the left bank, um, they really look down on on the right bank. You know, they I don't want to say look down, but they're like. Well, they might be a grand crew, but it's not this. It's still not the same as the left bank because they weren't part of that. Because they weren't part of that whole eighteen fifty-five. Yeah, they weren't a grandfathered in. So mm. they, you know, they they kind of got bamboozled <laughs> out of out of mm. something wonderful. But I mean, we get to enjoy the wines now. So I mean, it, it's sad what happened then, mm-hmm. and it's sad that they had to go through this process every so they ten years. They have to years. work harder. Yeah, they had to work a little bit harder to keep their, you know. Yeah. And, and another thing that I read, too, in multiple documents, was that St. Emilion is considered one of the best wine-producing areas in the northern uh, Gironde estuary. Mm-hmm. 
So even though they're looked down upon and everything, they're still considered one of the best wineries, you know, or or, or, or not the best wineries, but the best locations. Yeah. And and we'll go into why that is in, in a couple of minutes. But yeah. But, but yeah, that's I I found those things very very interesting when it came to Saint Emilion and in um, Well the two most famous locations are Saint Emilion and Pomerol. And yeah. Pomerol is where Petrus is, and that's that will be a whole episode in itself. But those are the two main, those are the two famous appellations of Right Bank. So yeah, and yeah. so um, you want to go into the rainfall a little bit of Saint Emilion? What what can you tell us about wh- how the rainfall affects the soil there and? Or however you want to start off, like what what's yeah. well, I'll, I'll start off with the soil. Um, the soil out there is uh, a lot of it is is your limestone. You got big sections of limestone, and then you got a gravel, clay, and silt. Um, and so then, it was a dominant type of soil. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. You have your um, your limestone outcrops, um, which. Is, is like your underlayer, and then you have your your clay and your silt over the top, and a little bit of gravel because there are there are slopes in that area, which is what they use for growing their uh, other uh, grapes. Some of the best grapes come from the slopes, um, but uh, you know some of the soil is alluvial. It comes from the the river that runs. Is is it the, the Drawn River? The uh, the so it's the Dordogne River is the side the right bank's on, and the left bank is the Garonne. Yeah, and they're so, split by the yeah. two main one, the estuary of the Gironde. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they, they, a majority of the alluvial soils, which um, water will tend to take the lightest soil and move it when when the rivers overflow, or when there is a heavy rain. Or in and yeah, and your, and your rivers tend to overflow a little bit. So, your silt and your clay are the lightest particles, or the smartest, the, the smallest particles compared to a gravel or sand, like the sand dunes that we have out here in the Coachella Valley. Um, it's a heavier, it's a heavier particle. So, it's going to move your clay and your silt, which is actually a, a good thing because clay holds on to water through a thing called CEC, which is cation exchange capacity. It has, has a negative ion effect. It has a, a, a negative charge. And it holds on to water better because water has two positive particles and one negative particle. And then so it holds on, holds on to that water better. So if there is a drought, um, plants over time, as the soil dries out, plants can pull that water out of the clay um, and, and silt doesn't have any positive charge or negative charge whatsoever. It relies on other materials. Um, but that's where the limestone comes into play. And your limestone, your limestone is pretty much made up of dead marine animals. And as it breaks down, because it is water soluble, it's more water soluble than a lot of igneous rock. Um, it breaks down and it provides a lot of nutrients for the soil. And I, that's why it does so well there. And then, so you have, um, so when it comes to that in rainfall, we can understand why they get such a good uh, production um, out of that area. They get about 34.9 inches of rain a year. Um, 
which um, like we get three yeah. <laughs> out here. Um, Napa Valley gets 27 and Paso Robles gets 18, oh, which wow. is why they use their irrigation. That's why they have to use the irrigation Drip out there. Irrigation, yeah. Yeah. But your Napa Valley is 27. That's um, pretty high for California. Yeah, yeah a Paso a Robles gets, um, you know, they get half of what they get out there in France. So, um, but uh, so, but December in January get double the rainfall, uh, which is a good thing. You you want uh, you want that like you want high water. And then you want low water after the fruit, because what that does is, it, it, or at, or right around the flowering, you want your watering to kind of slow down a little bit, because you want to send your your plant or your tree um, into like a little bit of a stressed time. So you're getting so it's like getting, a heavy rainfall. Yeah, you get you... four inches of rain in the winter, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you drop down half to two inches of rain in the summertime which it, say in july it gets a little bit less than two inches of rain you know and which is still a lot i mean it's still a lot of rain but for your hillsides that are made of gravel and everything your water is going to percolate quite uh, quickly it's gonna um there's a thing called in the soil called um a capillary and sometimes it pulls to the side sometimes it pulls down sometimes it pulls to it pulls up sometimes your cap you know your you have upper capillary a side capillary it does have uh it pulls in a downward motion out in france it does have some side capillary but it's not as strong as it is out here because of um of the way that our our valley's set up um but <clears throat> so you get high water in the winter and then you start and then once your flowers hit um, your water starts to slow down and it sends the plants in like a panic mode uh, when you start decreasing your water, which is why the the area here is, is the rainfall is a, a perfect. It starts to slow down. Your plants go into a panic mode. They want to survive. And the way that plants survive is they procreate through flowering and pollination. And 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 so they, they produce an abundance amount of, of flowers. And then you want just enough water down to make sure that the fruit stays on the vine. And and so, I mean, the weather, again, the weather out there is a perfect. So this is why the Merlot grape um, is the dominant grape out there, because it needs more of a, you were talking about those different sand being alluvial, a little bit more clay-like limestone, which makes, with, with the rainfall, you're talking about how that coincides, mm -hmm. and... It has a heavy rainfall, goes into a, a slowed down rainfall, so less precipitation, mm. which forces the fruit to hold moisture because yeah. yeah. they have to hold on to what they have. Yeah. And then it, in turn, makes a very fruited mm -hmm. end result. So you're going to have yeah. a more juicier or fruit-filled grape. Well, and a Merlot grape is a larger grape. Mm -hmm. So compared to your um, uh, Cabernet Franc mm -hmm. or your Cabernet Sauvignon, um, I think that's right. Sauvignon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the grapes aren't as large. They're smaller. In, they're a lot smaller. So um, because of the high nutrient content in the soil, mm -hmm. uh, any other grape would ripen uh, faster. 
And then okay. so all of a sudden you have people out there uh, uh, picking uh, at the wrong time. So that's why on the left bank, their nutrients are a little bit different. Their soil setups are a little bit different. Um, so the grapes on the left side uh, tend, that's why they tend to do better over there. Okay. And on the right-hand side, because of the other Merlot grape needs that specific type of nutrients to be picked at a certain time, you know, that's that's why it does so well. Okay. That's why it does so well over there. Well, that's, that's um, two distinctive characteristics between the left and the right bank. So yeah. we see how even though uh, that the fact of them being split by those two rivers and the where they sit you know the left bank sits off from the atlantic ocean mm -hmm. and the garonne river so the effects of that in itself and how the soil um developed there is opposite of the right bank so mm -hmm. um we see how how those two distinctive uh locations made specific perfect climates and soil and temperature for the dominant grapes of those two areas. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in depth tonight? Well, uh, I mean, I, I wish I could stick to like what's locally there, but mm -hmm. I just want to remind everybody of the, what France is facing when it comes to uh, the challenges, the, the tariffs. Yeah. yeah. They got the tariffs that, I know nobody's collecting right now, like the World Trade Organization said they're not going to collect until January unless they can come up to a new resolution. But right now, uh, France is looking at a 25% increase in their tariffs, or, or I think it's 25% total or 25%. I, I can't remember which one it is. Increase. Yeah, increase in, in their in their in their tariff uh, taxation, um, but only in alcohol limits uh, under 14%. So, like, so it affects only the wines that are 14 and below. Yeah, which would be majority of it would be your champagne. Mm -hmm. And and then um cuz champagne on an average is 12.5 yeah, or 12.3. Yeah, I don't yeah, know where they come lower. from. Or mm -hmm. lower. I mean, but we've had some uh, Bordeaux that are 13.9, 13.5. Yeah. There are uh, they're on an yeah, on an average yeah. they're 15. Yeah. But there are some that are lower. Yeah. And like your red blends, like they could be, they're all over the place sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but, depending on the grape varietals they use and what the main grape was and mm -hmm. the percentages. Yeah. Sometimes they'll throw, um, you know, like a white varietal in there too. And those mm -hmm. are less, um, they have a less percentage of alcohol, you know, that because they're just. And sugar, yeah. And yeah. So yeah. you have less, a less percentage of that ABV. Um, and then you were talking about frostbite on the vineyards. That was one of the challenges that <clears throat> Europe in general, or was it Spain or what were your, it was, it was, uh, France got oh, hit France. by, uh, yeah. France got hit by, uh, a frost in, in their vineyards. Yeah. It was either late February, or early, uh, early March. Mm -hmm. And I saw a couple of pictures and they would, uh, I think they use like a water buffalo and they spray a bunch of water in the middle of the night and they allow it to freeze over their, over their harvest. Since the grape is a, a dormant, uh, I mean, sorry, not it's deciduous. So it'll lose its leaves in the winter. And, and, but the fruit, you, if you lose your fruit, it's not gonna, it's not gonna reflower. It's not gonna send out a new, 
you know, a new a new set of flowers. It's, it's going to flower one. You might get two flowerings, but it's going to be early. It's going to be like in your um, yeah early February sometimes. You, you know, depending talked, on your weather. You talked earlier about um, how uh, the weather rainfall will or or just climate in general will affect how the grapes grow well actually what they do how they affect the vine so mm -hmm. stressing out the vine because they're not getting what a high volume of rain or mm -hmm. so forth so you were talking about how what you were relating it to the frostbite on the vineyards and you were talking about thermal pockets yeah so yeah what they do is they they take a bunch of water, they throw it on top of their uh, vines at night um, as it's freezing. And what it does is that when, when, when the ice ices over your fruit, it creates like a thermal pocket around the fruit. Mm. And uh, it actually uh, protects them. We, we, we did that in 2006, I think, 2006 or 2007. Out here in the Coachella Valley, we turned our sprinklers on in the middle of the night when we have a heavy frost out on the citrus fields. And we allowed this thick layer of water to to go around a lot of our oranges and um you had to do that or you would lose your crops so and, it's like melting the colder part yeah, of it the aspect yeah, of it yeah so you you would you would you would spray over the top and then it would freeze mm -hmm. um as the water is going down the tree and if you put enough water down you'll have this thick um layer of water around your fruit and uh, it'll actually keep the warmth in like an igloo. It keeps your fruit alive. I mean, we still lost uh, some of the fruit, but but we would have lost a lot more if, if we didn't if we didn't do that. You know, yeah. it, I remember we saw ficus trees like they were cut in half because they lost half of a tree in one night. You know, that that's how I think I get down to the teens, which out here. You know, out here is out, out in the desert. Uh, a majority of our plants that we brought out here from Australia and everything, like they can't handle it. You know, they can't handle those 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 low frosts. Like you, if you get into twenty, you might be okay, but anything under a twenty in there, mm -hmm. and they're gonna get hit hard. So just like um, we've had our challenges out here in the desert with plant life and and our trees, citrus trees, and different things that have hit by got will have had a hard time because of stress from climate and terroir changing and maybe not enough of something happening in the environment. Um, the, the wine barons of France are dealing with the different challenges, whether it be political or environmental, um, COVID-19. Financial now. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, so they're, they're, COVID you have to be creative. The, you have to come up They're They're, they're trying to find ways to be creative with such an old style, an old tech, old way of life. That's something they've been doing for hundreds of years Yeah. and they have to be inventive and creative now and, and, and be, um, adaptive mm -hmm. to, to what they face here and now. So, mm -hmm. um, I think we pointed out in the, the first episode to this segment is how we can help, you know, by continuing to, for one, purchase their wine, mm -hmm. you know, get to know some of these left bank, right bank <clears throat> wines. Um, you can find some very affordable wines on the right bank. It's a little bit of a challenge on the left bank because they're set up for age potential to store mm -hmm. and age, but there are many 2015s that are ready to drink now. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're, 
the, those are little ways that we can help, you know, continuing to help, um, doing, you know, podcasts or shows like something like we're doing now is helping talk about it. Um, these subjects, making people aware, um, and there's lots of other things individuals will think of on their own and be creative because that's mm -hmm. what humans do. Well, that's we survive. What, when we were talking about the podcast, thinking about this podcast, we wanted to make it around small family vineyards. You know, th these aren't high production um, uh, companies. We're, we're looking at the small family vineyards. I know Santa Million is old, but they're not a giant. You know, yeah, they're, they're a smaller yeah, AOC. Yeah. Or Appalachian. So that's that's what we're trying to focus on, and, and not only are we going to do Europe, but we're going to uh, go to Oregon and California, and probably yeah, we're, cover, we're going to cover our, a lot of the AVAs in Napa. Yeah. yeah. Talk about um, the Willamette Valley in Oregon, um, all the areas that uh, are distinctive to each varietal and why they become um, so successful in that particular area or state, you know, then why a certain location, even Washington, you know, th those different places like that, some beautiful wines that come out of those, out of Washington too, mm -hmm. the Yakima Valley, we're going to talk about Columbia Valley, um, and how s those wines that we find there, what, how they're comparable to California wines. And those will be in podcasts to come. Yeah. So, just some extra facts about Bordeaux, just to leave you guys with some thought. Um, if you ever wonder how long uh, you can keep a Bordeaux, uh, the peak value is approximately 20 to 30 years after the release, depending on the quality of the vintage. Um, if you want to, uh, if you're not sure exactly what temperatures to store uh, a red Bordeaux or a red wine in general, it's an average of uh, between 52 and 50 de 55 degrees in a wine refrigerator. And then for white or a white Bordeaux, it's going to be um, 49 to 52. There's also um, a way to express a red wine, something that is not traditional, but Brian and I do it a lot. We actually done this uh, in the place where I work when we teach our classes but we'll pre-chill like a red wine for 20 minutes and it actually it doesn't seize up the flavors at that point people think oh we can't chill a red wine because it's not going to express itself but it actually brings out a lot of the quality of the fruit uh, the characteristics that you wouldn't taste if it was too warm because the acids change and it softens up the acidity levels when you have a little bit of a, a chill on it expresses its fruit so mm. just some little pointers on on red wine um and that's pretty much it i think that's gonna wrap up our show for tonight unless you have something else to add no that's i think i came up with everything i, I like to talk about you know you know stuff out here in the coachella valley well, but, yeah it's neat yeah. how you can compare that it shows yeah. that there's always something you can connect from old world to new world. You know, it, it's all land and terroir and climate. And there's some areas uh, that are Mediterranean-like, um, not just over in that part of the world, but here we also have Mediterranean climates in Napa Valley and mm -hmm. different areas like that where wine grows a certain, or grapes grow a certain way because of similar uh, climates. If you're, uh, there'll be a show on Willamette, Oregon, 
um, and how that is similar to the the temperate in Burgonia, and that's one of the main reasons why Pinot Noir grows so great out in the Willamette Valley. So there's a lot of comparisons when you look at temperature and the equator line and the degrees where this state sits and this country sits and why you can grow a varietal on this side of the world and that side of the world opposites and how come they, they come out so successful. Mm-hmm. So, so thank you for listening to another episode from wine from on the vine to the road tasted this is jasmine and i guess it's me it's me brian (laughs) (laughs) until next time i wasn't thinking i was looking at that scotch (laughs) cheers (laughs) cheers all right Uh, goodbye guys bye